0: Hey everyone, welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast, it is all about you and helping you reach the big goals you have in your life and what next steps are you going to take to get there. I'm your host, Darren Johnson. And before I go any further, thank you so much for listening and for supporting this podcast. And I also invite you to follow us on Instagram at idareyoupod, or you can follow me on Instagram at darrenjohnson1. Now, you are here for episode 40, and you made a great decision because you're going to love our guest. You're going to love this conversation with Dr. Craig Bowron. Now, Craig is a practicing physician and board certified internist. He works with first year medical students at the University of Minnesota Medical School and trains resident physicians at the Internal Medicine Residency Program of Abbott Northwestern Hospital in Minneapolis. He has appeared on ABC and CBS affiliates in the Twin Cities and frequently as a guest and commentator on Minnesota Public Radio's NPR Morning Edition. Now, he speaks all over the country at health conferences, and his writing has appeared in the pages of Forbes and Slate, Washington Post, Huffington Post, and so many more. And Craig is the author of a brand-new book called Man Overboard, A Medical Lifeline for the Aging Male. I think you're going to love this conversation with Craig. You know, if you're a man over 40 or you love a man over 40, this episode, uh, boy, it's going to speak to you. Now, regardless of your gender or your age, this conversation will resonate. And you're going to hear some really practical things, simple things, not easy, but simple things that we all can do to live the life we want and make sure that as we are aging, we are aging well. So now episode 40, it is ready to go. And now, everyone, here is Dr. Craig Bowron. Dr. Bowron, Craig, welcome to the I Dare You podcast. It is really good having you on the show.
1: Well, thank you. It's uh, it's a pleasure.
0: Hey, um, where where do you go up north? I'm from Minnesota, so I oh, yeah. I, I, I know St. Paul. I know Duluth yeah. area, Boundary Waters. Where where do you go?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, so I have a friend who has a cabin north of Grand Rapids, and the closest town. That, I love this name. It's Talmoon.
0: I Which you remember
1: it. is like is one of the rebel bases in the Revenge of the Sith or something like that.
0: If you're a Star Wars guy, we just may we just may skip this entire book and <laughs> just talk about Star Wars. <laughs> no, I'm
1: not. Like, I think in my lifetime, like what a what an incredible work of storytelling.
0: I love Star Wars. I remember reading the paperback in 1976, I believe. <laughs> Did in, it precede in- the movie? Uh, you know, I did, but but at that time is a different time, right? In other yeah. words, my my parents were concerned about the violence and making sure that. It, and I, I read the paperback, and they. I finally saw the movie. You know, I think I, I think my dad did take me. Blew me away. I mean, yeah. obviously, my my brother has a cabin up in uh, near Battle Lake, Minnesota. I grew up near oh, yeah. Fergus, Fergus Falls, and so sure. I'm out here in Idaho. So it's still dark. Well, the sun's coming up, right? But. The, uh, to be able to go back to the cabin and not worry about any maintenance, property taxes, e-boats. Um, so that's my brother's place. So that's my story. So it's kind of a
1: spiritual, I don't know. I'm sure other States have it, you know, in terms of like when people, where do people go for the summer, but it's definitely a spiritual journey. I think for, um, um, there's a song by big, big red machine. You know, he's out of, he's out of Eau Claire Mm. talks about going to the cabin in the summer. Yeah. You know, and and it's just a song about driving to the lake. And,
0: you know, I agree. There is something about it. Well, I'm waiting for your next book on that one. So I think there is a a lot there. It is spiritual. You are you're the author of a brand new book. Uh, It is called Man Overboard, a medical lifeline for the aging male. And we're going to talk a lot about this content. And it is a fantastic read. You're an exceptional writer. Uh, before we get there, though, tell us about how did you get into the medical field? And you're doing some great work with residents and training medical students at the University of Minnesota. How did you get to where you are right now? Take us back a bit.
1: Yeah, I guess, you know, it starts with my, my roots. Um, I was a blue-collar kid in kind of a smaller town in uh, northern Illinois. Um, my dad was a facilities, facilities operation, which is, which is to say he was a boiler man um, out of the Navy. My mom um, stayed home and took care of us and clean houses for extra money. So there was no, um, nobody had been to college in my family. You know, um, I found in life that which one of the things, and I love this part is that people can be highly educated or highly intelligent or sometimes both, sometimes neither, you know, and um, I think my family was intelligent, but not highly educated. Um, so there wasn't, uh, my parents couldn't tell me like where to go, but uh, early on, I won't worry with the story, but early on, I got some exposure to Minnesota and just loved the uh, loved that life. And just thought, like, I wanted to be a small town doctor. Um, and I love biology and, and and that sort of thing. And uh, it just, um, I think, the idea of being a small town doctor drew me in. Um, so I went to a small school called Augustana, to liberal arts school at the in Illinois, it's yeah. where the um, it's where the Mississippi goes east-west. That's the easy way to find it. It takes you about four years to figure out that it's going east-west, and then, of course, you're done. (laughs) Uh, So I started, I started, signed up as pre-med. There was an interesting, I was in an honors English course freshman year, and the professor, Dr. Youngberg, just said, I want to see you in my office. I'm like, oh, no, am I in trouble? And she just said, like, what's your major? And I said, I'm a pre-med, and she rolled her eyes, you know, like, oh, God, you know, not another freshman pre-med. Yeah, and said like I think it should be an English major. Your your writing is really good, and I so I ended up squeezing in an English major.
0: You did okay, yeah. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, um, and it was a it was even then. I guess even then I was juggling the science, the sciences, with going to uh, you know my Chaucer class or the Shakespeare class or modern fiction or whatever. I was even then I was juggling those sort of things, and I had a little chance to. They have a literary magazine. Uh, uh, on campus and I wrote some stuff for them and had gotten an award for a, a short story. Then went to medical school, wrote a little for myself. Um, just, I think if you got the bug, you know, you, it's part of your, it's, it's part of your, the way you care for yourself is doing that sort of thing. So right. wrote some for myself, not, nothing really for anybody else. I, had a, I think med school is a tough experience. So I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. I, I, I felt like I had all the education I could handle having been to school for eight years. So I took a year off. My parents, God bless them, didn't panic, said like, oh God, you know, he's doesn't, he spent all that money in med school, doesn't know what he wants to do. I ended up coming to Minneapolis, moving in with a friend, did temp jobs. The people that lived underneath me were residents at a program in Minneapolis. So I I wanted to keep fresh. So I I, uh, started going to kind of some of their stuff, ended up applying there, did my residency and uh, ended up becoming a doctor.
0: Oh my gosh. What a, what a journey that was. So you you really had this crossroads about what direction to take. And you're passionate about writing and literary topics and you're an exceptional writer. We're, we'll talk about that in a bit, but wh- tell me, what was the allure of back, back when you were just thinking about this, what was the allure of being a small town doctor? Why, why, why that?
1: There's something that I love the, I'm a big, big Wendell Berry fan. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but I just a little bit, I think he might be the smartest man in the universe, you know? Um, I just think he's so wise and he talks a lot about uh, living in a place in small towns and what it means to, to know and to be known, you know, and what a big town gives you is a lot of anonymity, but unless you live, we live in a nice neighborhood. I know all my neighbors and stuff like that, but um, I don't know. There's something always about, I love nature. I love out of doors. You're, you're in Idaho. I suppose you you do too. I do. You know, um, it just, I love that combination of the small town life. I also, you know, it, it wasn't a direct, Pull, but I grew up listening to Prairie Humpkin Pan and, and um, mm-hmm. Lake Bobegon, you know. And it's, yeah. it's a fictitious place, and yet it's not a fictitious place. Again, it's a place where people know and know each other, are known and know each other. So it was just kind of a combination of things. The ultimate irony is here's a kid who wanted to be a small-town doctor who now basically spent a career working in a big-time hospital in the downtown Minneapolis.
0: I was going to ask you about that. How's that, how's that working for you?
1: Well, it it just shows you that life is living you. I think the the writing aspect of it, um, you know, during training you don't have time for much anything else, but reading medical stuff, the information for the general public, uh, it seemed to me like it was, it wasn't what, like we were telling our patients, and I joke about this, but, you know, it would always start out with something like every year, 60,000 people die of halitosis, you know, and you're like, oh, my God, yeah. 60,000 people from bad breath. That's such a <laughs> large number. But the idea is to get you, you know, or, you know, he was completely fine until he saw the, the blood on his tooth on his toothbrush, you know, right. um, or having or covering like really exceptional uh, oddball articles, you know, like in mice. Uh, it looks like. Uh, Mice who were fed peanut butter had a, a 30% lower incidence of Parkinson's. You know, like, well, how does that? It gets on the top of the news because it's Parkinson's and it seems so simple. We just need to be, but it's not at all accurate. And so just started kind of like, I don't know, try to find my own voice, you know, writing wise, like what's the mix of people would say like, uh, well, you can't joke, you know, about health. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not joking about it. There's nothing funny about cancer. Um, but, but, but why does it have to be so self-important. I think doctors Mm -hmm. suffer from this, you know, the self-importance and people just were tired of the Marcus Welby thing, the higher than thou, you know, um, sit down, it's tight. You're done with your uterus. We're taking it out. You know? Okay. I mean, we're done with all that. And so I just wanted to, I just started, I wanted to find my voice. I wanted to write something that people could enjoy and learn something from.
0: Speaking of small town doctors, I grew up in Hoffman, Minnesota, about three, eh, two and a half, three hours away from the twin cities. And our doctor, we had 600 people in the town, right? And yeah. our doctor was Dr. Sampson. Like you said, yeah. everyone, he was, he was known. He was part of the community. He took care of my grandparents, my parents, and he did all the, all the physicals for all the kids in school. Yeah. I and mean, he was, <laughs> he was everything. And the, the influence that healthcare professionals have on communities and the lives of others is just profound. What, what do you love most about, about training residents in internal medicine and also, um, you know, being part and training medical students, first year medical students at University of Minnesota. What do you love most about all that, Craig? And then we'll, then we're going to transition into this book.
1: What I love about it is their youth. Ah. <laughs> Where I live in St. Paul, I'm close to a couple uh, university colleges. And uh, I, honest the guy, when I, when I, and I often ride my bike to work. And when I ride through there, like, it's like going, it, these are, they are flowers. You know, nature makes us into these beautiful resplendent, resplendent flowers to reproduce you know, yeah. but it's fall and those, the, the petals fall off and things change and nature kind of says, ah, you know, thanks. Uh, done with that. You know? So I, I love their youth. Um, they are not naive. You know, sometimes oh, I love that youthful naivete. They're not naive. You know, um, they're just not cynical. It's interesting how sometimes you meet up with physicians and it's all about the business. No one's yeah. talking about an interesting case. No one's talking about a patient that they lost or loved or cared for, or that when they saw him on their clinic schedule, just went like, "He's here." You know, I wonder how she's doing. You know, can't wait to talk. wonder how our kids are doing. You know, um, they're not talking about that. They're talking about Medicare, Medicaid, you know, insurance issues. So there's none of that with med students. Uh, so it's a lot more about style. You know, it's a lot more about thinking through stuff. It's more, a lot more uh, just about the logic of things. And um, this is. Where we are modern culture. We have lots of information, have lots of data. Now we don't suffer for that. We but it's it's collating it, it's making sense of it, you know, it's understanding what to do about it.
0: Let, let's talk about this this new book of yours. It's called Man Overboard, a medical lifeline for the aging male. Now that is pretty specific. And if you are not an aging male, you might know one. <laughs> So tell me what, of all the topics, you, know, right, you've, you, you could write about anything, every, everything from Lake Wobegon to something uh, more spiritual, and, but you chose this. Why this topic of all the ones you could have chosen, Craig? So some of it's for me.
1: You know, I'm 58. Uh, this is uh, not official or science driven, but I, I've decided that 55 to 70 is pre-geezer. So I <laughs> consider myself a pre-geezer. I'm with you. You know. And then I think 70 after that, you're a geezer. So, you know, I'm entering the pre geezer phase. I can feel it. Part of it's because I enjoy humor. And, um, honestly, uh, the aging male is a very humorous sort of thing. Um, I grew up watching Monty, a little bit of Monty Python. Yes. And there's that scene about where he fights the black Knight, and he cuts off <laughs> one leg, you know, and, and you think, well, that's over. And the black Knight's just spitting vile at him. And he, cop chop his other leg and he still wants to fight, you know, and that is that sort of, um, I don't know. I sometimes joke that uh, testosterone triggers our invincibility gene, you know? So it's just, mm. I think we don't do it as well as women do. I just don't think we do it with the kind of grace, even though menopause generally is a, is going to be a harder thunderbolt sort of thing. Yeah. I don't think men do it as gracefully. And, and that's because, um, I don't know, because we don't talk about it. Cause we don't address it because, We're so focused on strength and virility, and and we don't we have no language for frailty. We don't, you know, we just. So part of it is just humor. Uh,
0: One of one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you was in this as an aging male myself, pre pre geezer. Yeah, I don't I don't talk about things with my 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 friends, my 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 guy friends. We just don't talk about our health that way, and I don't know. I don't know why. And you even talk about mental health in your book as well, which is obviously a hot topic and important topic, but we don't talk about it. There's almost like this veil of invincibility. Um, I don't know. So you, so you think that's, that's unique to more of the guys. And is that driven by some of the testosterone or I'm making some huge leaps? Why, 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 why why don't we, why don't we?
1: Well, I I do. I mean, I I joke about it as being a sign of testosterone blindness and that sort of stuff. And I, and I think, you know, a lot of the stuff's overdone, but I just think there's something about, and I'm part of this speaking from personal experience and with friends, you know, it is like, I'm a, I'm always been svelte or even skinny my whole life, but I've been athletic. Yeah. Um, I think most men, the, the challenge is not to blow up as they get older, put on extra <laughs> weight. Right. For me, it's not to blow away. That's going to be the challenge for me. And, uh, so I'm used to being, uh, slender, but I don't want to be frail. And, um, you know, I, I, I in a hospital, I see men and women, you know, and you see if, 58 year old male coming in with this, a heart attack. And it's a different experience than um, a 58 year old woman. I mean, they feel wounded. Um, they'll seem like, they kind of like, if they're from a smaller town, like, how do I tell people? Well, you tell them really? that you, you know, you've, you've had a heart attack or, and what does this mean? Am I still going to be able to work? I'm going to, I just think, um, and, and from my own personal experience, my wife and her friends, um, you know, when they get when something doesn't feel right, they go see a doctor. Yeah, they go check it out. With, well, they're on their phone and they're just like, "Well, I just made an appointment with my dermatologist. I just wanted to look at that." That's it. And meanwhile, like I, I think um, I joke about this in the prologue. You know, that a lot of men like I am fine. You know, because I've been fine, and so I will continue to be fine. You know, better uh, for better or for worse. You know, our physicality, our strength, our hairline—all this stuff is. It's an intimate part of like what it means to be male. Um, and so when you lose that, it's just, you know, your social life can get better and better and your interconnections can get yeah. better and better and better as you get older. Um, but physically, man, you know, it's, it starts out as a, you know, you get to your late 20s, early 30s and then you can fight it and you should. But there's some things you just have to accept and part of it is your physical decline, you know? Yeah. So I just think it's harder. I don't
0: know. What do you think? Oh no, I do. I I do think it's it's more challenging to accept the physical decline. Whether for me, it's um, it's the cognitive, but also Mm -hmm. strength wise. And yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to accept. I mean the 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 speed with which. And now there are some who are gonna who are gonna email me and say, Oh no, I can run faster than I did when I was thirty. Okay, I get get that. What I'm saying though is, if I ran a eight minute mile when I was thirty five. Right. Yeah. If now, if now my my miles become a nine minute or nine thirty type mile, yeah. uh, I shouldn't I shouldn't be beating myself up over that. Uh, yeah. the, instead, it's a it should be a celebration that thank you, yeah. thank you, God. I'm still able to. I'm one of the few people that's still able to move like this, yeah. and thank, thank you for that. But I think it's tough to accept that for some. It, it, it is for me. I'm, I'm still working through it. You can hear me answer that question back.
1: <laughs> well, the, the the gratitude and I. I I was just up north and there's this a beautiful run out the cabin. You have to go up a steep hill, get to the, it's a sand road. It's up and it's down. There's some lake to the left. You get to this isthmus where you towards the end. Like I go out a mile and a half and run back. And there's a yeah. beautiful isthmus between two lakes and the water's running ac- under the road. You know, it's just beautiful. And then like, and I was just joking with my friend saying like, I know the county department has, I've been running this road for 20 years. I know the county has been out and making the road, the, the hills higher. I know it. They've added hills and they've added steepness. They've got graders out there. As soon as I leave, the next grader will be out there and they're making them steeper, you know. And ultimately, it's the same road. It's the same lakes. It's just me. I'm different. And I have to kind of, you know, be, as you say, like grateful, like I'm out here. I'm still running. I can still run. My knees are okay. I don't have, you know, That's right. you just have to be grateful.
0: There's so many um, people, so many people that can't due to other things. And so if you can, I, I personally, Craig, feel like, why do you keep doing, why do you keep running that mile and a half? Or why do you keep lifting weights or whatever that thing is for you? And the answer I think is because you still can, you do it because yeah. you can.
1: In medical school, they don't talk about exercise or the benefits of exercise. That's beneath us. You know, that's for the commoners. Let them deal with it. Let the physiologists deal with it. But really, so I had a, I mean, it's just, there's too much to know. And Other people are dealing with that, even like nutrition, you know, someone else deal with that, someone else deal with that. But, um, you know, so I had to read quite a bit on activity and exercise and then it's just, it's still In fact I was listening to a national expert, I forget her name on aging and she, in the middle of it, she just kind of says, you know, stop, you know, we talked about all this stuff. It's still exercise. It's the magic sauce. We do not understand how it works, but it clearly works better than anything else. If you want to live long.
0: And I've read a lot of books on nutrition. In fact, I'm looking at a book over here to my right. Here, it's it's written by Dr. Michael Greger. It's how not to die. (laughs) It's 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 all about the the leading causes of death and how to prevent it. It's a great read, but it's for me it's difficult to read because. But you're you have a definite voice here, and it just has some not uh, just a little more lightness to it and some some humor to it. And one of the points in your book is having to do with this allure in the fantastical or in the odds of things. Could you, could you speak to that? Because I think, I think you may, you're very much on to something as far as what could kill us and <laughs> how to frame that up for all of us a, as we're aging.
1: What's interesting to me, and I'm not a statistician, so I, just maybe to my benefit sometimes, I don't know. But for instance, like when you talk with patients, I said, you're going to for a surgery tomorrow. Uh, there's a one in a thousand chance you have a stroke. As an individual, you hear me say that, you think, well, that's not much. But as an individual, what you imagine is 50-50. You think to yourself, what you can imagine is like, I'll either have a stroke, I'll come out of the operating room with a stroke, or I won't have a stroke. It's going to be one or the other. You, it, you can't, it's hard to, I'm not going to have one thousands of a stroke. I'm either going to have one or I'm not have one. So it's difficult for, and this is a human thing, you know, it's difficult for us to assess risk. I think, I think COVID has been an excellent example of how of people are trying to assess risk, you know, and being way too afraid of some things and then uh, not being afraid of the things they should be afraid of, you know? Yeah. So, um, and one of the things that you see come up in medicine and what you'll hear in on the news is uh, relative risk versus absolute risk. So usually they'll tell you relative risk. So I'll joke that, um, I'll joke that um, walking by a, a piano store triples your chance of having a piano fall on your head. <laughs> right. Triples it. Right. It goes from one in a billion to three in a billion. Oh my does that concern you? No. Would you, would you walk around a music past the music store to give it a wide berth? You know, you wouldn't. Um, there was a, it was a, last year. There was a report in the morning about, a helicopter had gone down on the surf in LA and they had it on camera. So that makes it more newsworthy. Right. Uh, cause we can see it go down on the surf and one had happened in Florida. So this national uh, journalist was covering that, you know? Yeah. And he said, um, they just showed both pictures and he said like, you know, actually helicopters are quite safe. Last year there were, um, I'm just making this up. There were like, uh, 180 deaths from helicopter use, uh, as compared to 5,000 for cars. <laughs> That's an, again, you're, you're, you know, that's, yeah. a, how is that number useful? I mean, it's not even, it's not even useful. So I think that, uh, like, when it comes to to, to sex, you know, like, uh, ask your doctor if you're healthy enough to have sex. That's why I, this chapter is exercise Well, how much of a physical event is it, you know, and how risky is it? And it's just, it's just ridiculous. Um, you're far better off, you should stay home and have sex rather than go out, text uh, while driving. Right. You know, right. so... And, and, and again, getting back to medical journalism, some of that stuff is to make you listen, yeah. giving you kind of fantastical uh, relative risk, you know, like sh- uh, shark attacks. Hey, if you, you know, you're talking about shark attacks, the riskiest thing you do is driving to the beach. Yeah. You want to stay safe? Stay in the water. Sure. That's your best chance of not getting killed. just <laughs> by staying in the water. Don't get out. Don't drive home. That's your risk. So I just think we the stuff that we worry about sometimes. And again, it's fueled by, you know, fueled by medicine, I think. Yeah. And medical journalism.
0: But, you know, in your book, you highlight a, some really great things. You talk about the 10 leading causes of death for men in the United States. And one of the areas that you talked about is falling, right? When you're, when you're yeah. uh, a younger man in your mid thirties, not too much of a risk, but when you start getting to that 65 to 74 years old or older, yeah. Whoa. Falling now becomes a really big thing to be aware of. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you're like a you know, I'll speak for my own self. You know, I do I do things that I'm familiar with, uh, but I'm not the same person that was up on the roof three years ago. Right. I haven't mean, had the ladder up. You know, i um, my reflexes are not quite as quick. I'm a different person. I've done this before. You know, yeah. i yeah I've done this before. You know, but uh, that was the old me who did that before um yeah and and it's what a tragedy you know you fall and a lot of, even if you don't break your neck and are paralyzed um uh, for a, you know if you're a 70 year old man and have a major pelvic fracture it's a spiral you may not pull out of
0: that's right that's right because it
1: because being an inactive is so unhealthy you know yeah. so yeah it it is and I, I was kind of surprised to read that like look at it look at it go. Whoop, you know
0: well you know and i think i think you'd it- it gets right back to what you're saying about men and why don't we talk about it and how we think we're invincible. I learned through your book that the CDC has a program called Take Away His Ladder. Is that right?
1: Oh, uh, it does have a, it does have a campaign. There's one of those, I have to look it up. One of those is true. And one of those I made
0: up. (laughs) Well, if that, if that's a joke, that's a good one because that, because I've had this conversation with family members about, Hey, Uh, Do not get up on a ladder anymore. Don't don't, hire hire a twenty year old to do that. You don't need to do that anymore.
1: Here's my here's my advice to friends. I say like, if you're thinking about doing something, uh, before you do it, tell concoct a story that you can tell the ER doctor without being embarrassed. (laughs) You know. So if you can if you can describe to the ER doctor like, yeah, up on the roof, the ladder I had was too small, so then I. I got went and got our picnic table, and I direct. And if you can say say that to your ER doctor, tell her that story without any without being embarrassed. Then go ahead and do it. Yeah. Uh, but if you can't, then it's like. Mm.
0: <laughs> I love that. That that's a big takeaway. It
1: hey, it, it really works.
0: Yeah, that's. <laughs> I can see it. Hey, Craig, I was looking at a uh, just randomly. It was a it was a random photograph from. It was the 1960s. It was this. This person I follow on Twitter, and she colorizes photos. Beautiful work. Beautiful work. And anyway, it's this beach scene up from the 60s, right? And you look at all these bodies you know, just having a good Saturday on the beach. And I looked at it, and the one thing that, that struck me was most people here are pretty, they're pretty slender, <laughs> They're pretty slender. I, I was looking there. May have been a couple of people that that were really, really, really heavy set, but very, very few. A lot of people were were slender because I've been guilty of saying, hey, I, you know, I my dad's 85 and I'm gonna live it until at least 85. And you hear that a lot from people. But when you say don't bet on it, what spoke to me and I got from the book was holy smokes, the <laughs> the difference you're missing, everybody, is that your parents and especially your grandparents these were a different breed of people. They were working hard. They were bailing hay, picking rock, manual labor, and they were eating lard, right? (laughs) They were a different breed. And we are, we're very different. We're sitting more. We're not exercising much. We're eating processed food. We're watching Netflix. And so therefore that's not even a fair comparison. Now, would you agree with that, Craig?
1: Oh, abs- absolutely! And I, I had this kind of ap- anthropological bent. You know, I, I really am interested in the, the the sweep of humanity and how we live. And this is just we have to we have to see that this is unparalleled. We've not lived this way. The, 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 the first big leap was to the, the agri- agriculture. You know, we suddenly now we had we were not strictly hunter gatherers. You know, we're literally we had to chase down our food. We had to find our food. You know, being able to be physically active, like we're going to move camp. There's no more food here. We're moving camp 11 miles, you know, every, and you pick up all, uh, we just never ate this stuff. Even like, um, you say, well, there's lots of people living on farms now, but if you've been to, yeah. So if you, if you've been to a modern farm, you know, they're incredibly mechanized. Um, one time I gave a talk out in Western Minnesota and the guy says, like, I got to show you, I'm going to send you a family picture. You know, it's like from the 1930s. And these people were strapping. There was not an extra ounce of fat on them. And Uh, they weren't exposed to, uh, they were farming in a period before Roundup.
0: Ah, right.
1: You know, there was no, I mean, they were farming, they were all by, they were basically organic farmers because there wasn't anything else. Um, Even my father-in-law, you know, hauling milk cans to the edge of the, end of the driveway before he goes to school. You know, what you know, a milk can can be like 80 pounds. You know, true. he's a 10 year old kid. It's true. That just, that makes a lean and mean. That's not us. Uh, when we talk about average life expectancy, that's for all comers. That's from when a person is born, how likely will it, you know, what's the average length of life? The problem with that is that it's heavily skewed by statistically by uh, the death of newborns and infants Oh, no. no. and by and death in pregnancy. So what's interesting, like if you look at if you look at and there's data online about this, but if you look at the like average like life expectancy um, in the year uh, 1900, um, yeah, it was it was lower than it is now. But yeah. the, the the point is that um, if you if you made it through childbirth as a woman, if you made it through um, if you made it through being a, a toddler, uh, you could live a long time. There were a lot of old people then back then if you so once you take those factors out i think we've added in in the, in the century of modern medicine we've added if you could make it to 85 i think the the chances of you right in this age if you make it to age 85 you uh you, you probably have four five or six years left mm. in the year 1900 if you made it to 85 you'd had four years left mm. so there were there were there were old people then there were a lot of old people it's just that they had it they ran through the they got through the gauntlet of childbirth and um, childbirth and being young,
0: oh, so
1: that's that's kind of uh, you know that's that's sort of the, the the first half of it. I think a lot anthropologically, you know, how are we born to? Because it it ends up being right, you know, how is it? How are we born to live? What were we born to eat? What were we born to do? And really, this life we live is very unnatural. Hmm. Uh, being sedentary with excess calories smoking, you know, a a lot of things in excess, it's very, very unnatural. So in my own experience, it's interesting to see these, when I see in the hospital, people who are in their nineties or in the hundreds, you know, very often, very often they're from, they grew up rurally. They grew up in hard circumstances. They were, they were physically, you know, working on the farm from the very beginning, you know, and um, they lived, it's almost as if uh, they just lived through this kind of boiler plate of just, this cauldron of life was difficult and dem- physically demanding from the beginning. And I would also say that they were not exposed, particularly as a youngster, to any of the, the chemicals that we're exposed to. None of that stuff. I think it's, there's no guarantee.
0: To if you're living, if you're working in a in a in a space where you're just not moving a lot, where your primary it's you know it's an office, you got to be intentional about moving in a way that is gets back to more of a natural lifestyle, the way we were built to move and the way we were built to eat.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and so to me in that book, I'm trying to like, well, how do we do that without making life the death of me? You know, how could, how do I figure to find that new way without being uh, uh, obsessed by, you know, looking at every meal as a threat, you know, I still get, I occasionally go to Dairy Queen, but that's not, Dairy Queen is not nutrition. It's a treat. It's not food. I don't even consider it food. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's not food. I do it occasionally, but it's not what I subsist on, you know? Um, yeah, and I I try to pretty intentionally in the book I try to say there is a way to do this without being becoming neurotic. Yeah, you know.
0: Well, okay, so the, we got to watch out for according to your book cardiovascular disease number one, also yeah. ca- cancer number two. Yeah. What are some of those preventative things that we can do as we are aging, and what 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 can we control here, Craig?
1: So I think uh, uh, number one is our, our weight you know, just like in every, every parameter, every health parameter you can think of. Um, excess weight is not healthy. It increases your risk of cancer. It increases your risk of diabetes, high blood pressure, it, you know, over and over again. That's a, a bad player. Uh, activity. Um, and even part of what, a, there's a chapter on a book about just the dangers of sitting, The just moving, yeah. just moving, not becoming a triathlete, but literally figuring out ways to kind of move, you know, the, the healthiness of activity for, for cardiovascular stuff, there's really, there's major risk factors are high cholesterol, smoking, uh, blood, cho- uh, blood cholesterol, sorry, blood, blood pressure, sorry, cholesterol, smoking, cholesterol, uh, and diabetes. And again, diabetes is, I think, and high blood pressure, blood pressure are really in that, are closely tied to, uh, obesity. So, you know, those are just some very basic things Um, and the cancer, you know, the, the top of the list are, uh, I can't top of the list would be smoking. You know, there's just, I I think if you were going to, if you're a smoker and you read the book, forget about anything I say, you know, until you stop smoking.
0: What do you hope that the reader will think or do differently as a result of reading this incredible book?
1: So, so I think that. I wonder, well, a couple of, part of the, part of the problem is the genre, you know, a book that can't help people if it does, they don't read it. You know, uh, uh, I heard, um, Jason Sudeikis was talking about Ted Lasso, Lasso and the, um, the surprising popularity. He, he was on Saturday Night Live and he said that, um, I did a, I did a show about two things that Americans hate, optimism and soccer, you know, <laughs> why would they like the show? And a book for men about men's health. So I've written a book for a group that doesn't read that much in general about a subject they like to avoid, you know? And so I think I'd say like this book is kind of a, it's a fun, it, it hits all the big, like, what's the things you really need to worry about? But, you know, uh, and then what's kind of a, a general plan, you know? And so you, so you don't have to kind of, you know, just be again, neurotic about your health, but not dismissive either. Just somewhere I'm I'm... I'm very much a a moderate in many things, you know, so just find some place in the middle, you know, just, you know, some place in the middle where you got a plan you're doing, you know, you're you're, you're taking care of yourself. You're not obsessing about what your last LDL is. You know, you're enjoying things just someplace in the middle.
0: Well, I, I I think that's, I think you did it for all the guys out there that, um, maybe just are curious about their health and wellness and longevity, for those who uh, know an aging male, this is a great, great book to buy for them because one, this this addresses so many of the top things that guys are going through. It's it's a phenomenal read, Craig. Can
1: I tell so, you about the, the first working title? Thank yeah. you so much for that. I really, I mean, I, that's just writing is this weird thing. Of what you've done in solitude for a public audience, you know, what a weird <laughs> thing. You don't know what people are going to think about it. So yeah. I appreciate that. But the, my early title that got bounced was. Um, nut job, a woman's (laughs) guide to the aging male,
0: (laughs) which I still like. I still look, I I, look right here, right now. Let's just make that the
1: subtitle. Uh, One more time. What is nut job, a woman's guide to the aging male. Perfect. (laughs) Because everybody, everybody gets it. You know, we're, we're kind of all of us. We're on our own little, well, people in general, we're all our own little bit of crazy, all of us, man, woman, we're all our own little bit of crazy, but men in particular are a little bit of a nut job and and most of that the reason I started with that title is because I think in my experience, it's women who are pushing their partners to get th- good things done and to get their yeah. health taken care of. It's they're making a lot of the medical decisions in the house there. And then one of the things I think is ridiculous is I'm fine with fantasy football, but like, you shouldn't know more about fantasy football than your own health. You know what I mean? That's just not, I mean, you ought to know what a PSA is. you could do before and how it works and, when you should get it and what the upsides and downsides of it before you, the the details that my friends can spew about their choices and who they got this week. And and then, I mean, it's just like, it's great. It's entertaining, but you shouldn't know more about that than your own health. and I just think that's kind of silly.
0: Well said, you know, in in the book, I, 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 you have something here beautiful about how you have, you know, you've spent your career taking care of, of people and is, and people that are in their, nineties and hundreds. And, and you've had a chance to have a perspective here. And so one of the things that you've noticed is that those that are living this long life, a, a life well-lived wellness, longevity, you're right that they live active uh, lives. They have strong ties with family and friends. They belong to a faith-based community. They're careful not to overeat. They have diets uh, that are rich in beans and low in meat. They de-stress with a nap or prayer, or happy hour with friends. They like a glass of wine with friends or a meal. It's that simple, and it's not that complicated. Love that perspective, but to me, it just sums up how they, these extremes are not helpful. It's somewhere in the middle. And tell us a little bit more about why you have this in your book. I think it's a very salient point for us.
1: That's uh, that list is from or that list is from Dan Buettner, who who does this work on called Blue Zones, through National Geographic, and he's looked at the these clusters of. Uh, of longevity throughout the world. And those are the commonalities that they have. Um, I think the one in the, here in the U.S. is um, um, a group outside of L.A., um, I'm blanking on the it's a seventh day at Venice, I think, who are living outside of L.A. But so, the, and these are, the, these are the commonalities. Now, some of the problem is never, it can, it can be difficult with genetics. Like, are this, is this a genetic cluster and stuff like that? But over and over again, you saw these are the things that, you know, these are the things that people who live long and good lives, I mean, good lives, active lives, you know, to yeah. the, to the, they're 101 and then they tip over. I think we all, in our minds, we want to live old and then die in our sleep,
0: yeah. you
1: know, um, and not go through, you know, four and a half years of whatever, you know, right. heart disease or whatever. We, or we end up in a nursing home. Like, I, Unfortunately, a number of my patients go end up in nursing homes and they said, I don't want to go there. I'm like, of course you go to a nursing home, ask for a show of hands. Who wants to be here? Nobody ever said, like, well, I hope I grow old and end up coasting for five years in a nursing home. So these are the, these are the things kind of anthropologically, you know, these, that the way humans were designed, these are the things that give us, literally, like, give us life, activity, social connections, you know, a little bit of wine you know, so, with friends, laughing, um, you know, not being, we've never had this kind of access to calories, you know we always had to chase our calories we always had to go find them now they just come to us mm. you know so just there's this middle ground of where that's the sweet spot and all the rest of it it's a little you know it's fringy yeah and a distraction i think
0: yeah so, uh, Craig, you're talking to the "I Dare You" podcast audience. Everyone listening in is is got big goals in their life. They want to live a great life. Who doesn't, right? Yeah. Uh, what is your "I Dare You" challenge for all of us? For those of us who want to live a better life, um, live longer, be better, what advice would you have for all of us?
1: Well, I said, like you know, it's when I when I mentioned that list, I said it's that simple, and it's that hard. You know, I, as we all know, like. Sometimes the, what we need to do is simple, but it's hard. So, I, so part of it, I think, is just kind of being honest with yourself about what do I, what do I really want? Am I willing to work for work for it? Uh, because it's it's easier to sit, you know. It's easier not to do your exercise. It's easier to have a third helping of something that you really enjoy. You know, a lot of these things. It's you you like smoking. You know, it's hard to quit. I've tried to quit. It's hard. I do understand that it's hard. You know. So I think a part of it's just I dare you just to kind of um, maybe get away some get away from all the clutter and the esoterica and just like what are the what uh, what's the meat of the matter what are the things do I, uh, that I need to do uh, and stop worrying about shark attacks you know and uh, and even COVID at this point so much and just what are the basic things that I need need to do um, and part of it also this is I'm talking to myself but part of it is just kind of look at my, my r- looking at and recognizing my own decline, recognizing it, you know? Um, so yeah, I see you. I know that it's happening, um, but not be bitter and trying to be grateful for what's left and not be bitter about what's taken that I can't, I can no longer run on whatever, you know?
0: Well, Craig, uh, listen, everyone, the challenge that that you gave us is fantastic. I mean, what, what are those things in our life that we can just make those adjustments? It's, we know we need to do and taking those steps. We don't have to pivot our entire life, making those lifestyle adjustments. We need to do it. We know we do. We we all do. Yeah. We all have something we can adjust. But boy, to be able to have a life that's a little bit more longer and better and uh, uh, live it, have a little more wellness, it's worth it, isn't it? Chris? Yeah,
1: Yeah. And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be punitive. I, I think like my matric- nutrition, chapter, there's a lot of stuff and there's entire books written on nutrition, but I think, yeah. you know, basically we, we went on a low fat craze, we, which made us fatter than ever. And it made us fatter than ever because <laughs> when you only eat one thing, you eat another. And what we went is we went to carbohydrates. And it's as simple as ca- all carbohydrates are not the same. You know, the sugary yeah. things are not healthy for us. The complex carbohydrates the unprocessed carbohydrates those are healthy that's what you really need to know avoid the sugars you know you want saturated fat unsaturated more yeah that's that's true but if you got to focus on one thing avoid the sugars those are not healthy humans were never exposed to them in that kind of volume ever you know this is we've been hoodwinked
0: what's refreshing about talking to you though is that yeah you are you're a doctor in Minneapolis-St. Paul, University of Minnesota, Abbott Northwestern. But talking to you, you've got a soul. You got a soul oh. of a small town doctor, which I uh, find so refreshing. And you can yeah. see it in how you wrote the book and how you've just been letting that come through, even this interview. So I think it's just awesome.
1: There are some deeply spiritual moments uh, in what I do, and um, that 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 are I'm so honored to be with people and to be in their struggle and sometimes honestly the to hear a a story of their life you know um some some story i'm just it's such an honor it's so yeah just it is sometimes sacred space and you got to know like um and the sacred to me is everywhere of all the things i enjoy it's it's still like being at the most is like being at the bedside with a patient and kind of like what's wrong How, how can we fix this you know can we give you some answers and sometimes you can't fix things but they still they've been given an answer and yeah. and you know and and it's in a shocking way even the bad answer sometimes like it gets rid of the unknowing which is part of the terror you know like why have I not felt good now there's an answer you know and the answer has maybe a, some complex solutions but at least we, we've started with an answer I have this and here's what we need to do you know that's still the best part of my job and it's the thing I i think i mentioned earlier that you know you can people can be highly intelligent or highly educated or some mix and some of the patients i see that i i love both are people who are really highly intelligent and you know barely got through high school and have lived and they're so smart and they know so much um that's not in the books and i i just love talking to them i learned so much
0: well, Craig, as one aging male to another, thank you very much for being on the podcast. It was so much fun getting to know you and hearing your perspectives on things. And you're changing a lot of lives with the work you're doing. So um, it was a real pleasure. Thanks for being here.
1: Well, thanks. I just an honor to be here. I, I looked at some of your the, the guests you've had like, holy cow, what am I doing on this show? So thank you.
0: Okay. That was Dr. Craig Bowron. Uh, what do you think of that <laughs> What changes do you want to make in your life? What are you thinking of? Remember, you don't need to pivot and do everything, but what are the one or two things? So now that you've listened, who are the men in your life that need to hear this episode? Make sure you do share with them. They're going to love it, and they're going to thank you for it, and they just may be here a little bit longer because of you taking that step. All right, quick message to the guys over 40. Uh, It's never too late. Wherever you're at, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, it's never too late. Whatever changes you need to make, I would invite you to make the changes and experience those benefits. Um, You owe it to yourself, you owe it to your family. And for those who are in your 20s and 30s, uh, you are invincible, right? I know that, and I'm not arguing with you. Uh, I'm just, again, giving you some gentle encouragement to make the changes you need to make, whatever that might be. It could be increased physical activity. um, It could be to eat better. There are more reasons than ever to be sedentary and to eat poorly or to establish bad habits with alcohol and tobacco and other things. Um, Make the changes now because as you make the changes and establish good habits in your 20s and your 30s, oh my gosh, your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s will be amazing. And let's go even higher level, higher purpose on this. You'll be able to do what you want as you age well. Not only just physically, but also you're going to be here for weddings and graduations with grandkids and whatever's important to you. But think long term, and the steps you take today are going to pay off. All right. Okay. Now, everyone, get ready for episode 41. We're finishing it up. It's going to be another good one. And also make sure you are following us on Instagram at I Dare You Pod and also at Darren Johnson One. And go to idareyoupod.com get, an, get on our mailing list. I promise I will not abuse that privilege. I appreciate you being here, everybody. And I will see you here next week for another episode of the I Dare You podcast.